couple of things you might notice today. Of course, today is Sunday. No, you thought I was going to say Groundhog's Day, didn't you? <laughs> it is Groundhog's Day. And if you checked, Tuxedani Phil did not see his shadow. And so spring is just around the corner or today, one or the other. Of course, you may question that about the middle of the week if their forecasts are correct. You may say, wait a minute, where's that spring they were promising? I just always think it's fun, and, and, and I enjoy that. Also, today is 02022020, and if you do that backwards, it's 02022020. I don't know if that's good, bad, or whether it makes it matters at all. It's just kind of interesting, those, those things. I thought, well, I'd like to live until it's, it's uh, 22222. Uh, well, I don't think I'll make it 20, uh, 200 more years, so... Well, uh, we'll just take it for today, and it's good. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad that it, it's going to be in the 70s today. I think I'll take any day like that. It's great. I look forward to that, and uh, we'll endure whatever else we have to endure. I want to share with you some lessons this week and in a few coming weeks in regard to questions of the everyday. Now, I didn't ask you what the questions were, so I put them out there and say, these are your questions. So I get to decide which ones I want to deal with that way. But I just thought there are some things I think are in our minds that we deal with on a regular basis, whether we overtly ask the question or not. And so I want to share some of those kind of everyday, ordinary, daily kind of things that we deal with and put them in the form of question. And the number one question I put out there is, what do I need to do today as a child of God? Not how do I become a child of God, not a lot of questions that may be out there, but the one that we deal with as Christians when we go through every day is, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do today to be a good Christian, to be a good parent, to be a good husband, a good wife, to be a good worker, whatever it is, as a Christian, what do I need to do today as a child of God? It comes back to the idea we know we are individuals. And we prize that concept, I think especially in this country, maybe all around the world. But I think there are times and ways in which we treat things as if we are not individuals. We deal with group concepts. And those are the ones that are highlighted and the primary concern and many applications of rules and laws and doctrines. And I don't know any other way we can deal with that because we're dealing with societies or, or whole groups in that way. But my working theory is that we tend to think that way simply because it's a lot easier than dealing with the individual, with our personal applications of these things. Because it's always easier to define the actions and the character of a group or a congregation than it is to address and define our own character or our own actions individually each day. That's where the question comes from. But I think even when we do and we define those overall rules and we put them into place as, as Christians or as a society, I think we still wonder about our own place. What is it that I, what is it that you are supposed to be and supposed to do? Whether we're children or adults, as family members, as parents, as grandparents, and, and other perspectives of human involvement. What is it that we are supposed to do? What am I to be and what am I to do? Even as we do what we do in our daily routines, I think there is still a kind of wonder as to whether we are fulfilling what we are supposed to be or what we are supposed to do, especially as Christians. 
for. I think there is no other place in which the question is more valid than when we're talking about our spiritual lives. As Christians, we want to be right. We want to individually be pleasing to God. When we're on our knees praying to God, it's about ourselves as individuals. Of course, we consider the things we do as a collective group, especially when it comes to our gatherings, how we worship, and and about doctrines of salvation and so forth. Still, there is the question of what we need to do individually. What do I need to be? What do I need to do? What do you need to be? What do you need to do at other times of our lives than when we are talking about assembling or applying the application of first principles to people? Well, I'm reminded when I think about that a, a couple of people that are mentioned in story and, and in uh, fact in the, in the Bible. And there are many occasions, but a couple of them come to mind. And one is in that story that Jesus told of a publican who went to the temple to pray. And you remember what his prayer was? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He saw himself, and it was about himself as an individual. That's on one side, seeing himself as a sinner. Then on the other side, we've got the one that says, look at me and see what I am doing, and I hope you'll remember what I'm doing, Lord. And we find that that case as we deal with Nehemiah and looked at all that he had done, and he says, remember me for the good that I have done. Not that others weren't doing it, but it was a very individual response. I, I think we look at things, am I? being right? Am I doing right? Does God see what I am doing? So this is about the ordinary, the everyday, the undertakings of your life, and the question that ought to be on our minds, what do I need to do? What do I need to be this very day? And with that in our minds, we look at the backdrop of the story of Peter and those other fishermen, at least six fishermen, that got in a boat and went out to fish that day. And what do fishermen do? The fishermen go and fish, and that's exactly what they did. It was just another day, another day in paradise, they say. And you think about this, this is in that time frame after the death and the resurrection of Jesus and before he sins, before that Pentecost comes. And here are these disciples. And it reminds us there were days. There were days that even the disciples, the close disciples, the apostles of Jesus didn't really have a plan. There wasn't something that was specifically was outlined for them to be and to do. And there they were, and it seems in the midst of these guys, Peter says, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go fishing. And we got the other guys. We got James and John and some others going on and say, hey, we're going with you. And they got in a boat, and they went fishing. But you think about it, for at least three years, maybe longer, for at least three years, many of these men had spent much of their time with Jesus, and and much of it was busy, and it was crowded, and there was a lot going on. And Mark records for us in chapter 6 and verse 31, sometimes they were so busy, they didn't even have time to stop and eat. They had been on quite a schedule for over three years. They had traveled to many places. They had seen amazing things with their own eyes. They had done things they would have never imagined themselves doing. They had watched Jesus as he had calmed storms, as he had cast out demons, and they themselves had done some of these things. They were amazed at what Jesus was doing. They also knew there was something yet coming. After that death and that resurrection, it became even more, more pressed on them that something was coming. 
And while Jesus had apparently been present and not present, while he had been in and out from among them during these days, and whatever point this is, during those, those maybe 40 days that passed during this time, they were kind of uneasy, wondering. There were times they were spending together in prayer, it seems, but there were times that they were wondering, maybe what do we do? And they were waiting, and they were waiting. And even at his ascension, he was telling them to wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait till power comes on you, Acts chapter 1. He reminds them. But you know what? Even when we don't know what's coming, even when we, we may anticipate that something large is in the works, but we don't know when or we don't know what or we don't know what it's going to be, when we are, when we are waiting, life goes on and we're expected to go on with life. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? When you're waiting for the doctor's telephone call or you're waiting for someone to arrive or you're waiting for a big day to get there, whatever that day may be, life goes on during that period while we are waiting. And you know what? Active people want to be active. You don't want to just sit in a chair and wait. You don't want to be just kind of strapped down waiting and waiting and waiting because waiting is tough. Go to the Old Testament. There's King Saul, and he's got all this army out there, and people are ready. He's ready to go out there and fight with the Philistines and others. He's ready to go to, go to war. And Samuel had an appointed time that he was to be there and to offer the sacrifice. And Saul is waiting, and after a while, people are tired of waiting, begin to trickle out, and he's losing people right and left, and they're going this way and that. And Saul says, I can't wait for Samuel anymore. You know that feeling, don't you? I can't wait any longer for this. So Saul says, I'm going to go ahead with the sacrifice. And about the time he gets the sacrifice done, Samuel arrives and says, you did wrong. Sometimes you just got to wait. But that can be tough. And I've got a hard time sitting and waiting when I'd rather be going. My wife can tell you that. She'll say, it's not time to go yet. And I said, I'm ready to go. She says, it's not time to go yet. I said, I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's hard for me. Maybe some of you feel the same way. Or maybe you're just the opposite. But you know, when, when you want to be doing something, it's hard to wait. And it's hard when you're a truly active person to watch others and not be involved. I was reading the biography that, that Bob Stoops recently wrote, you know, after he retired from coaching from OU after so many years. And in a, a small part of it, he talked about how hard it was, how much trouble it was to him to go to a game to an OU game and not be involved in calling the plays and telling guys and hollering and being on the side. That's hard. When you want to be there, it's hard not to be involved in something. We want to do. And I think many of the struggles that we face as Christians and many of the struggles we face even in the church and even with one another at times are at least partially tied to the problem of waiting and desiring to decisively act. We want to act. We don't want to wait. So the fishermen said, we're going fishing. And away they went. And then they didn't catch any fish. Well, for somebody like me, that's not unusual. But we're talking about professional fishermen. And you've got to wonder, when they didn't pull in any fish, did they have to wonder, is God trying to tell us something? Just start wondering, where in the world are those fish? Oh, well, that's 
just a picture I found. But where are the fish? And if casual fishermen and, and fisherwomen, I, I'm sorry, that should make that broad, shouldn't I? If they're frustrated when they don't catch any fish, professional fishermen even more so as they consider this even loss of revenue. But something struck me this week. Something struck me. Now, somebody may correct me a little bit later, so, you know, think about this. Because things strike me sometimes, and I don't do all the research I should do. But it, it came to my mind that the only times that we read of Peter actually catching fish is when he received instruction from Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't catch any fish any other time. I'm sure he did a lot of times. But when we're reading in the Scriptures, the only time we read about Peter actually catching fish, he's doing fisherman work with the nets and so forth and so on, but actually catching fish. Luke 5, Jesus said, launch out into the deep, let down your nets. He said, we toiled all night. We didn't catch anything. He said, but because you told me to, it did. What did they do? They caught a lot of fish. Matthew 17 Jesus said, go cast the hook, catch that fish. There'll be a coin in his mouth, and you go pay our temple tax for us. And he caught a fish, sure enough, had the coin, took care of the business. And right here, John 21, as Jesus hollered from the shore, children, have you caught anything? No, Lord, we haven't caught anything. Cast it over there. Cast it on the right side, the other side of the boat, perhaps. And they caught a lot of fish. Which reminds us that there are, there are things that we don't always see. We may miss things. We may miss even the most direct and most obvious warnings of God. The Old Testament prophet Haggai has these words in chapter 2 and verse 17. I struck you with blight. This is God speaking. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. The Lord said, I sent you all these messages and you still didn't turn to me. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 17. It's just one occasion. It's, we, can, we can ignore what God is telling us. I think we tend to be able to ignore even the most obvious warnings out there. In that story that Jesus tells of, we call it the rich man and Lazarus, and here's the rich man calling out, calling out. And he says, he says Lord, send, send someone to my brothers so that they don't come to this place. And the message comes back to him. He said, they've got Moses and the prophets if they won't hear them. Let them hear them. And he says, no, but if somebody comes from the dead, said if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't even hear. Now listen to this. They won't even hear if somebody comes back from the dead. You say, well, surely they would. Then why are the seats empty in the pews? We have the innate ability to ignore the most obvious. As human beings, we have the ability to ignore the most obvious warnings. You know, we may look out there and we may see only see the water, but the Lord looks out and says, there are the fish right there. We may only see the water and not readily see what lies beneath. Jesus told them to cast their nets on the right, on the other side, perhaps, of the boat. And you know what? When he did, it worked great story, isn't it? What does that have to do with the everyday? Well, here's guys going out fishing. 
And the question is, face the day in the way God would want you to. How do we do that? What do we need to do? We're like those fishermen who say, well, I'm going to go out and go fishing. Something wrong with going out and going fishing? No, no. If you're going to play golf, that's another story. But no, seriously, whatever you're doing in the day, that's not necessarily the problem. It's what are you doing with what you're doing? What are you seeing in your day? What are you saying in your day? As we face a day, whatever that day may do for us or with us, whatever job we're undertaking, whatever thing we are doing, whatever people we are with, whatever we're doing with that day, there are things I think we need to do. Let me give you three real quick. One is we need to look for the Lord. When those fishermen heard that voice and they cast their nets, it appears that John leaned over to Simon Peter and he says, Hey, that's the Lord. Peter didn't stay in the boat much longer after that. He jumped in and he wanted to go be with the Lord. What we need to do is look for the Lord in the day. We're not going to find him standing on the shore hollering at us that obviously. But look for the Lord. We need to look and listen with an open mind to the opportunities that are there. We may look at it and say, well, I haven't done that or I haven't gone that way before. I haven't said that kind of thing before. We've never done it that way before. And I think it's common for us. It's common for us to get into our, our patterns, our lives, our behaviors, and things that we know that we've done and where we're comfortable and hesitate and hesitate then at the limit of our personal experience, afraid to go further. I think that's what Paul was trying to challenge the Romans to do. Look beyond the scope. Look beyond the scope of yourself. Reach out in ways you haven't reached out before. I think we need to, within that, ask, could it be a good thing? Could it be a good thing with the Lord? Could it be a good thing for my life? Could it be a good thing for other people involved? Not just is it practical, but is it beneficial? Is it beneficial to others? And is it consistent with the Lord? Whether we're looking at it individually as a, or as a group, we need to look and we need to act and say, is the Lord in this? And look for the Lord. Secondly, you need to act on what you can see that is right. Let me emphasize that three-letter word, act. I think a lot of times we know what's right. We just sometimes are hesitant to jump in and do. There's an old adage about before you do something, count to ten before you respond. That's usually about anger, I think, or something, isn't it? Or maybe we think, you know, always go get you a good night's sleep. On sleep on something before you, you take action. Well, generally, that's a pretty decent rule, I think. Except when it is used to avoid doing when it's used to avoid doing what you know you ought to do in the first place. I think we need to ask, we need to ask, would the Lord want me, what would the Lord want me to do here? Some of the disciples, those apostles came to Jesus. The crowds were out there. They'd been out there a long time. Said, Lord, we need to send them away so that they can go get something to eat. What did the Lord tell them? You remember that? You remember that story? The Lord told them something, didn't he? He said, you feed them. Said, Lord, we've got to, a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. He said, you feed them. Tell them to sit down and get busy feeding them. 
Act on what you can see to be right. I think what Jesus is telling them, don't try to avoid doing. Act on what you know to be right. What would the Lord want you to do in these circumstances? He told his apostles and disciples right there what he wanted. What would the Lord want you to do today? What would he want you to say? How would he want you to act? Who would he want you to say it to? What things are out there that you can do? Ask yourself that. Not just because they came up and tapped you on the shoulder and said, by the way, I'm here if you want to do something. But take the initiative to do it. Don't postpone what you can do today. Do it today. And one of the favorite stories that Jesus told, we often call it the Good Samaritan. You remember in Luke chapter 10? That great story is the man that goes and falls among thieves and he's left there to die. We got the priest going by. We got the Levite going by. Don't you wonder what was in their minds as they went by? Maybe they're thinking, this is inconvenient for me. I've got something down the road to do. Maybe they were thinking, I don't have the know-how to take care of this business. I'm not the person. If I go and help this fellow down here, my hands are going to get bloody and I'm not going to be fit for service or something like that. There may have been a lot of things that ran through their minds. But the main thing is that they didn't stop. He was there. They knew it. But they didn't stop. Maybe they thought someone else will. That's a common thought, isn't it? Someone else will take care of this deal that I I could have done today. Now, I'm not talking about a wayfarer by the side of the road. I'm not talking about somebody who had a flat tire by the side of the road. That could be it. But don't think of it just that way. Don't take the story and limit it to that view. It's about what you can do. For along comes the Samaritan, probably as busy as anyone, probably had a a journey to make, and he was trying to get on his journey, but there was an opportunity, and he took the time to do it. And Jesus asked the question, which man? And they come back with the answer, obviously the one that rendered him the aid. Act on what you know to be right. Don't postpone it. Don't avoid what you can do today, but act on what you know to be right. It's that simple. And then the third one is, see beyond the moment. We like gratification. We like instant gratification. That's like why we like to eat things with sugar on them. That's why we like to eat potato chips, the salt. It gives us instant gratification. We love that kind of thing. We don't want to eat that old healthy food because it doesn't necessarily taste good immediately, no matter how much good it does for us. I'm exaggerating just a little bit. I think potato chips are extremely healthy. See beyond the moment. Because responding on impulse can be good. It can be good. I know it must be controlled. It's not by accident that they put the, the, all the candy bars there by the checkout stand where you've got to stand for a while. They do it there because they know how important impulse is to it, how we respond to it. But sometimes we say, I've got to avoid impulse. Somebody says, well, I'm an impulse buyer. and I do things on impulse. Sometimes that's good. When you know what's right, let the impulse drive you to do what's right. We, but we need to see beyond the moment. It's not just about instant gratification. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. One of the great Old Testament stories. Let me give you one more. Great Old Testament stories in Daniel 3. 
we've got those three those three guys. We best know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Chaldean names. Three guys that wouldn't bow to the image at the sounding of the trumpet. And the word comes back, the king, king calls them in. The furnace is heated up seven times. You need to bow down. No, we're not going to bow down. And you've got to listen to what they had to say. That the Lord can deliver us. That's instant gratification. But notice what they said. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. They weren't counting on instant gratification. They weren't counting on that lightning bolt of God saying, No, I'm saving you. They were going to do it because they knew it was the right thing to do. And they were seeing beyond the moment. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to deal with what comes in the short term. Put yourself out there and see beyond the moment. Look for the Lord in the day. Act on what you know to be right and don't, don't hesitate but see beyond the moment. I'm going to tell you something. I believe it's easy for us to be Christian-like to be Christians, when we're all gathered together, when we're singing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But the real test, the real test comes at those other times when we're facing the everyday world. When we have to ask that question, what do I need to do today? When I'm in school, when I'm in the classroom, when I'm teaching children, when I'm dealing with my family, when we're at the dinner table, when things haven't gone right at the day, when my husband and I or my wife and I are not getting along like we ought to, when I'm dealing with a boss that is a problem to me or coworkers that are obnoxious, when I'm dealing with a world that's causing me problems every day, when I'm having to listen to the things in the news and deal with what's going on, when I'm worried about what's coming my way, how do you be a Christian then? That's where the real question lies. That's where we need to look for the Lord. That's where we need to know, act when we know what is right. That's where we need to put ourselves out there in the every day. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. It's a reminder of who and whose we are. It's a reminder of what he's done for us. It is a reminder that salvation is in Christ and in him only. The opportunity to put the Lord on in baptism, to become a Christian this very morning, the opportunity to have old life and sins done away and a new beginning for your life is here. If someone needs to respond, let us assist you in putting on the Savior in baptism this day. If you have another need, we'll gladly assist you with that as well. The prayers of the church are ready for you. If you need to come this morning, won't you do so while we stand and while we sing together?